Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. I, mm. I think probably 99% of the NDAs ever signed in the games industry are totally ridiculous and <laughs> could totally be dispensed with because right. the ideas, you know, the, the underlying ideas are not. Welcome to Game Dev Advice the Game Developers Podcast, your place for resources and in-depth conversations with other game development professionals. I'm your host, John J.P. Podlasic. I've worked at 10 different game companies, starting back in 1989 with the TurboGrafx-16. Over the decades, I've developed games like Mortal Kombat, Avengers Initiative, Beavis and Butthead, and numerous others. I now work for a startup called Level X. But this podcast isn't about me, it's about you and the game development community. So if you have questions or ideas, give a call 224-484-7733 or go to the gamedevadvice.com website. So let's kick things off with the new Game Dev Advice. Today's guest is Clark Stacy. He started back in the mid-90s at Beyond Games and has been developing games and leading teams at Wildworks for the last 17 years. Enjoy. Hey, Clark. So uh, where are you calling in from tonight? JP, I am uh, calling from my, my basement home office uh, <laughs> where I've, I've, been, I've been relegated to the, the base gym because my kids have Zoom piano lessons upstairs. That is, <laughs> these are the bad news days that we live in. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, you got to adapt and kind of roll with the punches there. So, yeah. So you, and you're based in Utah, right? Yeah, we're in Salt Lake City Studios, just uh, just south of downtown Salt Lake City. But uh, yeah, we've been here for going on eighteen years now. Wow, that's that's fantastic. So COVID nineteen, how's it going with that and everything with the studio and workflow and just uh, life in general? You know, I I I think like a lot of people in the industry have been pleasantly surprised by how quickly we adapted and how yep. well um you know i think maybe we had half a day of downtime in you know uh, some artists lugging their centiques home and uh <laughs> you know, some of the uh, yeah. the hardware setup stuff but really it was pretty quick where we're noticing the difference so you know we we were just in the process of of launching a new game called feral and, uh, you know, everybody was up to speed on that. Everybody's passionate about it. Easy to, to kind of keep doing what we were doing and, and do it remotely. What's wow. hard is that now we're getting back into kind of our usual flow of prototyping new ideas and wow. looking to see what, what comes out of that prototype process and doing mm -hmm. like, you know, innovation days, and game jams and things. 
That's yep. when it gets hard when you're, right, you right. Know, so we've got a couple of concepts that have been on the back burner that now we're trying to get some pre-production done on. We're kicking around design ideas and game loops, all that stuff that you really want to gather around a whiteboard for. Yeah, right? exactly. So I was thinking of the big whiteboard uh, and markers and people pointing and saying, what about this and drawing over things and all that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the ways that we, that we prototype game loops is, is we'll make physical games out of it you know we'll we'll take mm -hmm. a yeah, we'll take a game concept or a, a battle mechanic or a you know a collection mechanic or something and and yeah. turn it into physical 3d game pieces and play it live that's um you know that that kind of, of dynamic sort of synergistic you don't know what you're missing in there until it's gone right and yeah um yeah, there's only so much you can do over zoom you start to realize that the, the signal to noise ratio in in you know one to one interaction there there's a there's a lot mm -hmm. that you're that you're missing that doesn't get distilled through there and I think it's the it's the spontaneous the organic the off the cuff remark or idea that yeah. pops out that winds up being gold and mm -hmm. there's just something too stilted about uh, you know a video conference for that to kind of organically emerge so yeah yeah we're, we're we're doing well production wise we're on top of milestones we're on uh top of content coming out but yeah. um you know feeling the pain when it comes to conceptualizing new stuff yeah because that human interaction and those nuances and communication that um you do in person that doesn't quite translate over video cameras um, yeah, it's it really is the that whole gather around the whiteboard thing, which mm -hmm. you know, design wise, I don't think that's changed from the the earliest days of the industry. That's still yeah. how it gets done, and and a lot of it is just you know people riffing together and kicking around ideas. It's it's like a writer's room for television or, or mm -hmm. something. It's uh, yeah, a lot of it's stuff that just kind of comes out of the hive mind there, and. Yeah. That's that's what I'm worried, and it's not the stuff that you feel in the first few months of of quarantine. But you know, I think we're going to start to see it across the industry and hear more people talking about it mm -hmm. as this wears on into a second year. Right. Yeah. No, that's a great point. Well, speaking about the company, tell me about your current role as the uh, longstanding CEO there at Wildwork. So yeah, we. We started this company myself and uh, and two co-founders Jeff Amos and, and Chris Johnson mm -hmm. um, back in 2003, um, wow. and we started it. Uh, yeah, we started it originally. We, it was called Smart Bomb Interactive, and <laughs> you know we were we were thinking that the uh, the objective was was action games, and you know we uh, Chris and I had. Um, been operating a studio that he started called beyond games for 10 years okay. uh, prior to that, where we were doing a lot of vehicle combat, a lot of action games. And, and we, we kind of thought that was the direction that, uh, that smart bomb was going to go. And we, we found a, we wound up kind of finding our niche in, in kids games. Mm -hmm. And we had come, we'd come to this from, uh, you know, having developed our own engine and kind of having the production values of having done console games for a long time. And right. uh, we, you know, we looked at how bad the games were for kids that were out there. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was just that stuff that whenever a new animated movie comes out, right. some poor studio, some poor studio gets, you know, six months to do five SKUs and slap in a uh, box and make the date and to be damn with the yeah, quality. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. To hope, hope everything on the box is spelled right. So you can get it on the shelves of Walmart in time for Christmas. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and as, as long as, yeah, as long as the box doesn't catch on fire and it actually boots up, then you know that was about all the quality you could guarantee. Yeah. Um, you know, we looked at that and thought, well, God, if this is where the quality bar is for kids' games, we can blow this out of the water. Yeah. Uh, totally. Yeah. What's What's step in start doing some of this? So mm-hmm. um, I, we you know we started doing uh, some work for hire stuff like a lot of fledgling studios do and. Yeah. Um, did um, did some stuff uh, with Namco Bandai, mm-hmm. um, with Activision Value, and you know, uh, a bunch of companies. You know, there at the time, you know, it was like THQ and Midway and Activision Value. They were they were generating all of these kids products, right? And none of them are around anymore. No, uh, I was at Midway. I yeah, remember the, the yeah, <laughs> Happy Feet and all that stuff that we were doing. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Not to cast aspersions on anything that you worked on there, man. <laughs> no, no. I, uh, I was on the yeah. violent stuff with Mortal Kombat. I was in a different world. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, we can diss on the Happy Feet team all the way. I never played uh, it though. But yeah, you you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, man. totally. Uh, you know that that's kind of where we were when the uh, when the recession hit in 2008 and the iPhone mm. hit in 2007. Then you know, all those companies basically went away. And we had to kind of retrench and say, okay, we're going to have to make a, a pivot here. And we think it ought to be to our own IP. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, uh, we started work on what <clears throat> eventually became Animal Jam, which we launched in 2010. Yeah. And now Very that's a uh, game, right? Of, I mean, it's, it's still going and 10 years later and all that stuff, right? Yeah. Still going and, and still growing um, kind of a, a, cool. amazingly. Since then, the company's company's grown we've had offices in different places right now we've got a uh, a team of awesome engineers in pune india we have mm-hmm. uh, about 85 85 90 people here at the headquarters in uh, salt lake okay. um we have uh, a moderation and support team in the philippines mm-hmm. uh but you know the primary development and conceptualization is done uh, here in Salt Lake. So yeah, I've, uh, I've been the CEO since, um, 2015, my role, you know, when we're, when we're small and, and nimble, I'm doing a lot of, uh, design work now that we're bigger and have, uh, you know, I, IPs that are in multiple languages. Um, Oh, right. Yeah, I'm doing a doing a lot more of the grown up stuff. It's fun. You mentioned Beyond Games. So, like, how did you actually get started in the industry? Well, I was fortunate when I was an undergraduate at the University of Utah. Uh, the job that I did throughout college was I, I started first as a, a bouncer and later as a, as a bartender <laughs> at this uh, nightclub in downtown Salt Lake. Okay. Um, that that turned out to be owned by this absolutely brilliant self-taught programmer uh, whose dream since childhood had been making video games and uh, he owns this club and you know did did some of it but pretty much what he wanted to spend all his time on was working on his game ideas 
Okay. Uh, so he used to uh, he used to bring builds of whatever he'd been working on into the bar after we closed, <laughs> um, and so we you know we'd lock the doors, pull the curtains, open up the taps, and you know play his latest build and, yeah. until the sun came up, awesome. which was was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I helped him out with a few things during that period, but um, thought that I was uh, going to be going into more of an academic career. I was. Uh, ultimately, um, yeah, started, uh, doing teaching at the university of Utah and was ramping up for, for grad school there. And, uh, but, uh, it pretty quickly realized that what he was doing looked like a lot more fun than what I was doing. (laughs) Uh, and uh, we, uh, yeah, pivot exactly. Um, so I, I came and joined there full time, um, became, a, a, an owner along with him and cool. yeah, we, we did, um, we did a series of games mostly, uh, about blowing shit up and we <laughs> And when was this? Like what, what, what roughly time, time period? That's beyond, he started beyond games in like 1992. Okay. Uh, the first game that, um, that came out under that label that, that I had anything to do with, uh, was for the Atari Lynx. Oh, um, yeah. Really, really, really dates me. Uh, yeah. uh, and then we, we did a fighting game. I know you've got some, some history in this. Yeah. Uh, we, we did a fighting game for the Jaguar mm. that, uh, we actually, we, we combined, uh, you know, live green screen, uh, characters with stop motion animated characters and CG characters. Uh, okay, and uh, I one of the the live characters along with another bouncer at the bar, and <laughs> we shot all of the footage for that uh, at the bar on the same stage where you know bands Dance were, were going to be playing that <laughs> that night. Yeah, and we just uh, we hung up you know green screen over the stage and kind of figured out how to do this. It was very uh, wow. roll your own. It, yeah, it was, yeah, it was very roll your own and kind of figure it out as we as we go along we didn't you know never done anything like that before but uh yeah but yeah we, we figured it out and game came out that's awesome so now looking back what do you wish you had known when you had started in the industry what really got me excited early on about about games so i was i was studying um in the languages and literature department at the university of utah i was working with a professor up there on a couple of books on uh, one on greek and roman athletics one on mm-hmm. uh, uh greek mythology you know and helping him teach in the in the classics department yeah um and I really got sucked into the the muds and mushes that oh, were kind yeah. of take, taking off at the time. So these were text-based RPGs, right? And right. Uh, I, I don't know that people, if you've never played one or if you don't, you know, you weren't kind of there for when it seemed so radical, this idea that um, you were playing in real time with all these people from all over the world. Yeah. It was just mind blow- mind blowing, you know. Right. Even though it was just text, it was incredibly vivid. And uh-huh. uh, you know, between that and like the the BBS game scene was was big at the time. And, okay. Yeah, you know, this was before the World Wide Web. And, right. Yeah, the, uh, the modem handshakes and and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you know, if you were looking for information on the on the internet, you were being in Gopher and uh, mm-hmm. you know, IRC and things like that. Yeah. Um, but that that really got me excited about the ability to tell stories through this medium. 
and okay. uh, to create worlds in this medium. You know, what I wish that we'd had then are some of the tools that are available now to right. Unity from stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, from from scratch for for kids up through Unity to have access to something like that for free. Mm-hmm. Um, God, that's just it's staggering. The, right. the right. how uh, you you really get to start much further along than we did um Mm -hmm. there were no engines to license per se then yeah it was you you needed to find um some some fairly badass engineers to uh john carmack uh yeah yeah exactly tim sweeney's you those those were everybody's heroes uh yeah because they can write a a rendering engine Mm -hmm. um Fortunately, we had one of those in in Chris, but you know that that means that uh, if, if you're able to persuade a publisher or somebody else to fund your project, yeah, you've got you know you've got six months of hard work before you can show anything of remotely interesting on screen. Right. Um, yeah. You know you can you can do that in a weekend now with Unity. In terms of someone looking to get their first job right now, like what kind of advice would you give someone trying to break into the industry? You know, this isn't. Uh, this isn't a popular thing for me to to say when I'm speaking at, at colleges and universities, mm-hmm. and I should I should qualify it by saying that there is that the university programs there's there's a lot of value that you get out of that. Yeah, and it is a great way to uh, to build your portfolio. But frankly, it's all portfolio. Somebody gives me a resume, I skip over the education stuff. I'm looking for the portfolio link. Right, uh, art station. Really doesn't see what the work looks like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Deviant or whatever, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, for for art, for animation, even for for design and, and scripting, and that mm-hmm. that's that's what matters. It you know, yeah. You come to us with a, a PhD in computer science from Harvard, but no portfolio. You know, we're going to pass by you to talk to the the guy who's been putting together an awesome portfolio of his own projects in his garage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it shows that so, initiative, uh, right? It, it, you can do stuff yeah, uh, on yeah. your own, and you've got that fortitude to complete thing yeah i mean you, you think about it the engineering talent especially that we're chasing now when when i started out game development engineers were a fairly specialized bunch you know mm-hmm. there, there wasn't a lot of competition for people doing 3d rendering and uh you know ai for games or yeah uh, yeah any of the uh, you know collision systems any any of the stuff that went into to game technology then Right. We were only competing with other game companies when it came to that talent. Mm-hmm. Now the engineers that are most in demand are, you know, infrastructure guys and cloud yeah. networking guys. It's true. The same people that banks and healthcare systems and lots of boring businesses want to hire. Yeah. So, you know, what differentiates you if you want to work in the games industry is a passion for games. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because we, we don't want to just hire somebody for whom a job at a at a healthcare in, in a company or a or a bank right. would be just as interesting. Yeah, and to be honest, sometimes too, those places pay more, right? So it's like banks yeah. are the big bucks, and yeah. uh, people are going to go there. So you you want to see somebody that's that's passionate about games and has has done some work on their own. Those are the the best, and that's actually that's that is one of the great things about some of the university programs now. And I know you know we have some common connections at the University of Utah's uh-huh. uh, master's 
program and game development, which I think is one of the best in the country. Yeah, I agree. But um, yeah, when we when we see candidates from there, we we actually participate. We go in, you know, during the time that they're putting together and pitching what their you know their master's projects will be. Mm-hmm. They bring in some of us from the industry locally, and we come in, we review the projects, and give them some feedback. And, Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it, it is cool. But you know, what comes out of those programs are fully fleshed game development teams. Mm. Yeah, they're, they're people that have already been working together for six months or a year. Oh, right. They have all of the major roles filled there. They've got, mm-hmm. you know, they've figured out how to get a team to gel together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've got a producer, they've got designers, they've got animators, artists, engineers. They've yeah. done all the heavy lifting for forming a game company. If, mm-hmm. you know, if you're a, an angel investor and you want to uh, play some bets, step in there. They, these guys have already done yeah. all of the heavy lifting, all the hard parts. You know, finding money isn't the hard part. It's mm-hmm. getting the band together. Yeah, so when we're looking for, for talent now, yeah, we can bring an intern team in from a program like that mm-hmm. uh, and they're, they're ready to hit the ground and make a game. Yeah. So what about advice for someone, you know, say trying to advance their career in design or production, kind of like some of the stuff you've done before your current role as CEO? I don't know that I ever completely asked your question about uh, or answered your question about uh, how to get into the industry beyond saying okay. that it is it's it's portfolio. Yeah. It is. It's portfolio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Back in the in the days when I started out, the path into the industry was through QA. And it didn't, it didn't yep. matter. Boot camp. Uh, Can you survive the gauntlet? <laughs> Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. That was uh, QA and you show some aptitude for production and you got on the producer track and aptitude Mm -hmm. for engineering and you went on that track. Yeah. Um, Now I think it's, it's much more about what have you done? And while some people look at that as a barrier to, well, you know, how am I I supposed to get a job in the industry if I haven't had a job in the industry? Mm -hmm. Uh, With the tools being so ubiquitous, so easy to obtain, there's no reason why anybody should walk into a game company without some stuff of their own that they've developed on their own and kind of shown that they cared enough about it to figure out how to do it. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be gorgeous and polished and, you know, we're not, nobody's looking at that and expect, you know, a take two product or, um, uh, you know, something just, uh, that's ready to ship. Mm. It's more, you know, how did you, how did you approach the different problems that you hit here? And, um, so when you when you're talking about advancing your your career or moving into different areas, yeah, I think about um, you know there's a there's a test that we like to give prospective uh, prospective designers coming in at, at Wildworks, okay, and we give them we give them this box of stuff, and it's a mm-hmm. box that has it has some paper, it has some crayons, it has some dice, it has some poker chips, okay, and some action figures, just a bunch of random crap in there. And we give them this box and we, we say, we're going to give you, say, 20, 30 minutes to design a game based on this with the stuff that's in this box. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to come back in here and we're all going to play it together. Okay. And, you know, that's not a lot of time to, to operate with that. You don't expect to come in and find that, oh, wow, they've, they've created the next XCOM and it's, right. it's brilliant. Yeah. What, what, what you expect is to, is to see how they approach the, the problem solving that that's, that's involved there. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, having an idea for a game is, is 
the the easy part. Yeah, totally. It's all of the millions of little problems that you encounter between that initial idea and how it's actually realized. Mm -hmm. And it's when you have to turn around and start thinking about it of when I'm playing this, what is it, what's my objective? What is my core fantasy? What am I actually doing with my hands? What do I want the player to be looking at? And you can you can grapple with all those problems with a box of random crap. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's more about seeing what's the problem solving approach. I think that the same is yeah, true yeah. in advancing your career in the in the industry. Mm -hmm. If you want to work in in new areas or areas with more responsibility, it's demonstrating you've gone in and you've thought about the unique problems that you hit there and are kind of showing how you would solve them. Yeah. There's there's worker bees in every company, right? There's people who, who want to come in and do their job, be told what their job is and, and do it. And yeah. it's great. We we need those. And some of those people are fantastically talented mm -hmm. and they're happy doing what they're doing. But we also need people who are wanting to to break out of what they're doing and try new stuff. Right. And those those are the people that are looking around for problems and coming to us with solutions already that's you know i think that's the best way to advance probably in any company but certainly in a game company is mm -hmm. to identify bottlenecks or problems in the processes that you already have and not just point at them come right. with solutions to them no and, and that's came up before talking with people it's be a problem solver you know make yeah make problems go away come up with good ideas be um engaged the best players on any team are the ones that make everybody else look good and mm -hmm. they're yeah. they're the the, the scotty pippins not just the the michael jordan uh it's it's the people who make everybody else's work more efficient or easier to do or you know they're anticipating problem solving them in advance yeah to your other point it's your portfolio and, and, and what what kind of stuff you've done you're right and there's there's so many venues now to for indie developers or solo developers to show off their work and get feedback for their work and yeah. workshop it that didn't exist before but indie game jams or, or game nights and mm -hmm. uh yeah, we do we pay attention to stuff like that we love doing stuff like that internally yeah, yeah that's one of the things i missed most about gdc this year is i love going oh, right. through the whole the whole indie game hall there and right. not just you know looking at what people are doing but talking to them about it and mm -hmm. seeing their you know passion and their energy for something that they've built and and you know there's nothing that they want more for it for somebody to actually Actually, pay some attention to it and ask him questions about it. Yeah, that, that is a, a big part of the of GDC, and it's it's amazing how much hall space is dedicated to it, and all the kind of variety of stuff you can see, and you know, not just even uh, traditional games, but like um, physical games. And I saw people playing games with yeah. boxes and sticks and doing stuff. So there's all kinds of things there, and that yeah, that definitely yeah. There, there was some too. fun stuff last year. Somebody had a game that the controller was a sofa, and <laughs> uh, it, it was the the game That's on crazy. the screen was all controlled by people standing up and sitting down from the sofa and it was i, I love stuff like that i, yeah. I love people who have, have got freedom to just kind of think crazy thoughts and go do something not because it's going to be a commercial success but just because it's cool mm -hmm. what's been like one or two of your favorite games or projects to work on over all these years 
Animal Gen has been incredibly rewarding. I was involved in the in the early design and the pre-production design of Animal Jam, but mm-hmm. don't get involved very much anymore in uh, in design elements there. Yeah. The part that's fantastic about it is the community and and the kids. Okay. It's um, you know after ten years of this community, we've seen kids who start out playing Animal Jam when they're you know, 10, 11, 12 years old. And now they're graduating from college and some of them are coming to work for us. Uh, wow. That's uh, fantastic. That's others cool. are, yeah, others are, are sending us letters about how they're getting into science careers or careers in, uh, in conservation and, and environmental huh. uh, protection because of the experiences they had in Animal Jam. That's, um, God, that's, that's fantastically yeah, yeah. rewarding. So is that PC yeah, or, or what, what platforms? Sorry to cut you off, but I was just I'm, no, no. It's, I've never uh, played them. It's, I've never played it. It's uh, it's desktop and mobile. So okay, kind of three hundred sixty degrees. Mm-hmm. From a design standpoint, some of the early games that I worked on when I was still figuring out how game design worked and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and, and just making mistakes and and trying to find my way through them. Um, yeah, I think the first the first game that I was uh, lead design on was called Redline, and it came out in ninety eight or ninety nine. Okay. Um, but it was the it was the first in and out of vehicle combat game uh, of its of its kind, where you could okay. where you could jump in and out of cars anytime. Which sounds you know it's kind of de rigueur now. It's uh, yeah, pretty much any open world game has that. But at the time, it was it was kind of radical. And that that was that was sort of my game design grad school was was yeah. that project. It was it was about a year of crunch time and two and a half years of total development. It was brutal. Wow. Um, nice. I I don't think physically I can go through it again, but yeah. it was very educational. Hmm. So it was an an actual open world game, you know, getting out of the cars yeah. or yeah, okay. I mean, yeah. we we tried to control environmentally, you know, when you could and couldn't, but uh, yeah. but yeah, for for most of the game, you could jump in and out. And that opens a lot of doors from just both a design standpoint and then technical challenges and all that kind of stuff too, you know. With, streaming worlds and and loading in the background and all that kind of stuff yeah yeah well and, and how do you how do you draw a player through something like that how do you tell a story when you you know there's an environment that you can either walk through or mm. tear out drive through and you've still got to get the the story points and the main oh, action yeah. beats through yeah. the player and mm-hmm. um there, <laughs> there wasn't a lot for us to go on at the time and, and examples in terms of the industry, like, what are you curious about right now? The the Oculus Quest sold me on the idea of home VR. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, so that whole I've, Facebook login requirement. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> that sucks. Yeah, that sucks. And then Facebook yeah. is, is, is toxic. And, and I wish that there was a divorce from that. And, you know, maybe the, uh, maybe the sideload homebrew community there is going to wind up being the saviors of the, of the Quest. But yeah. It more as a as a proof of concept that you can have a device at or under five hundred dollars that mm-hmm. doesn't require a, a three thousand dollar PC to run it. Yep. Um, doesn't require you to be tethered to anything, mm-hmm. but can still be a very deeply immersive experience. Um, mm-hmm. That that sold me on VR. I still don't know that there's. Uh, I don't have a lot of faith in Facebook's ability to market that. I think yeah. that 
I think what they should have done from the very beginning is bought Beat Saber and packed it into every one of them and cut the price by about two hundred dollars because that that's yeah. their Wii Sports, right? You know? Yeah, that's their and Mario. Want, right? Yeah, it'll push. That's their their Wii Sports, their Mario. That's um, yeah. that's that's the thing that you get it as soon as you do it. And mm-hmm. you know the 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 Wii had this challenge of what well, it's these sticks and how right. am I supposed to play a racing Full game with this strap way? on it? Am I supposed to throw my controller? Yeah. 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 But you you pack it in with something simple that's kick ass and that mm-hmm. everybody in the family immediately wants to try yeah. and it's just intuitive. That's kind of they have a couple of games like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Beat Saber being you know, a, a prominent one for it. Right. That if you want to make this a mainstream entertainment device, you, you've got to have that as you know one leg of the stool, if not two of them. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm curious about where that goes from here. I'm I hope that uh, you know there's other consumer electronics companies with the I mean there's it's off the shelf parts that they're using there. There's nothing patented in the right in Snapdragon the chipset and all that kind of yeah <laughs> yeah nothing, yeah. Uh, so other people can can and should and hopefully will be building these and and the prices will come down. The resolution will go up. Yeah, yeah. It, it's still a little uh, bulky for children to use it kind of mm. looks like a ski a ski boot on a child's head but <laughs> um but it's getting better and yeah. so i'm excited about that ar fascinates me we've got some ar functionality in in the animal jam mobile game it's that's a lot of fun to play around with cool. it's something that we're going to be doing with uh with feral as the mobile comes out and i'm surprised that more people haven't seized on you know the the niantic technology that's that's licensable now and the google maps technology that's you know, i think free right. um, to do more location driven uh, stuff because yeah that's that's the, another one of those experiences that kind of takes people who don't consider themselves gamers and pulls them into an experience that mm-hmm. uh, kind of like kind of like a Wii Sports. Yeah. Like the grandma doesn't, grandma doesn't, doesn't think doesn't, that she's a gamer. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was always like tonight at the 10 o'clock news, grandma at the nursing home is playing video games and you know, it's it, it, <laughs> it show yeah. the, uh, the seniors playing and stuff. And yeah, just in terms of the quest, like I've always been very, um, very bullish on it and just excited just, just because of the price point, not the tethering, not three or four grand laptop and just all those things were so exciting. And, you know, in the back of your mind though, you're always like, well, what's, what's Facebook going to do here? And, and then, when that was announced and yeah. you had to use your Facebook login and everything, I was just like, Oh man, I was, I was I deeply disappointed, but also not shocked. But at the same time, I was just like, Oh, it just let a lot of the momentum. Out, you know? Yeah. I know. I know it does. And you know, I think a lot of developers, us included, we're, we're kind of on the sidelines in part because it was Facebook in part because we kind of wanted to see you know, when does this build up enough market viability to, yeah, how how are you going to convince yeah. companies like like mine to go and invest, you know, at least several hundred thousand dollars, probably millions in game expense that's going to be competitive on that platform? Mm-hmm. Yeah, when the installed base is is X and the the game price is is Y, and you've got yep. Facebook gobbling up a, a lot of that, it's they haven't really made a good case to to yeah, three developers yet and that's that's going to be the next step for that to grow hey hope you're enjoying the show if you are please go to patreon.com backslash game dev advice we'd love to see if you can support the show and help uh, new episodes keep coming out that's patreon.com backslash game dev advice
Thanks. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, and what normally happens too is when people aren't embracing hardware, they get to back up the money truck and just start throwing money around to get um, developers on board. You know? Has that ever worked? I mean, aside, aside yeah. from the first party, first party games, right? That you know, you you buy Bungie so that you've got Halo for the Xbox, and mm-hmm. okay, now you've got a titular property for your console. But right, and so many you know from OnLive and Gekai and all the streaming companies back in the day that were raising tons of cash and giving it to developers to go and make games on their platform. Mm-hmm. None of that ever worked. Yeah. It's, it's, it's more like a Hail Mary in some, t- some ways, right? Because I, I, I remember yeah. we did that Turbo yeah. Graphics and TTI. It was like Nintendo was out there and Sega was oh, a two-horse race. So they were trying to throw some some money uh, at devs to get some uh, software on their platform. But yeah, yeah. It, it's... Uh, it's definitely a long shot. Another thing that I'm I'm curious about, and then you know, use this to give a, a shout out to my boy Tommy Tallarico, who's uh, <laughs> who's reviving the the classic console. I, I talked to him at GDC a year a year ago, and I got his card. I'm looking at it right now, and I'm like, when are you get on the show? You know, because yeah, the Holden Television, right? Yeah, no, they they've actually got an office here in Salt Lake now, and okay, the date moved out, right? 2021. Uh, I saw date date moved out, but I don't know if you've seen the the hardware. If he showed it to you at GDC. No, he, he was just by the booth and then we talked a little bit, but yeah. Yeah, it's cool. It really is. And I'm really curious because he's, you know, the whole pitch here is that this is inexpensive, uh, easily accessible family mm-hmm. gameplay. It's meant to be played in groups and it's meant to, you know, it's, it's not, uh, yeah. it's not cutting heads, uh, 800 right. watt hardware, it, but does what it does and does it well. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of gamer friendly, you know, arcade sort of uh, experiences for the play. I'm yeah. really curious to see how that does because I I think there's a market for it for sure. Mm-hmm. It's you know, can you can you reach them and and get to uh, you know to a terminal velocity with that? Yeah, I'm curious to see what the first games are because I I love the idea and I want to see it work. Probably ninety. 90- Five percent of these people listening right now have no idea what I'm talking about. But the Intellivision, you know, in its time, you yeah. know, that was my my gateway drug into gaming. You know, besides the arcades, it was by that television. You know, the George Plimpton commercials, and you see the sports yeah. games comparison and two hundred sixty bucks. We're so old, dude. <laughs> <laughs> we are so old. People are like on Wikipedia, like, what are you talking about? What is this? Yeah, uh, yeah. But you know, uh, my, that that my was first the system. Console was a uh, yeah, the television. God wanted one of those and the, yeah the atari when that came out my first console was the magnavox odyssey which oh, okay. you know, had, yeah. had three twist knobs that were built into the console itself mm-hmm. and that's what you you played with it was probably mid-80s right something like that yeah, okay. early 80s i think early 80s, yeah. yeah what about mr you have any experience or any thoughts around that you know magically hololens seen seen some of it seen demos experienced some of it You know, part of part of what made me really skeptical about home VR is nobody going to 
pay to look like a dork in their own living room. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but you know, they managed to get it to a form factor where it's, yeah, it's, it's tolerable and yeah, you look kind of dorky, but everybody's taking turns with it. They're excited about it. Yeah. Um, I haven't, I haven't seen an MR experience that isn't just like grade a hundred percent. You look like a dork and <laughs> you feel like a dork wearing it. And, yeah. and the, the experience is just from what I've seen and I haven't seen everything. So, yeah. yeah, but I haven't seen an experience yet. That's so compelling that I think, yeah, this is a mass market product. Well, yeah. And the price point is a killer too, right? Cause you know, I think the magic yeah. leaps, what 2k or, or 2,500 us dollars. So, um, that's a yeah. big ass to walk around with a, a computer size of a small Frisbee around you and, uh, the, the headset and everything. Yeah. Um, stuck to your head and and who's making games for it and um yeah, yeah I mean, it's more in the enterprise space be... really yeah that, that seems to be like yeah. the niche that they're yeah. they're finding because the consumer is just too many barriers of entry you know there's there's other lower tech stuff that i think is more interesting gameplay wise okay. you know the uh, obviously covid and that is set the location-based <laughs> gaming yeah, industry back back a decade, right. uh, if if not more. But I think you can always look to uh, to parts of Asia and kind of it's like you're looking five years ahead in our yeah. games industry. South Korea, um, especially. Yeah. I was in Taiwan a couple of years ago with my my family, and and the huge thing there at the time was uh, was called Pokemon Treta, hmm. and it was an arcade game, but it. Um, it delivered these little kind of uh, little delectable hockey puck like tokens that had yeah. different Pokemon on them. Okay. And so you would, you would put a few bucks into the game and you would play it. And if you won, you'd get one of these. It was like, you'd capture the, the Pokemon yeah. and then you would collect them. And the game had these spaces on it for you to put those on there so that you bring your Pokemon collection to play this game. Okay. And you would put your Pokemon that you'd won using these traps. I saw, yeah, I saw parents and kids lined up around the interior of a huge mall and wow. the parents are standing there with these um these like folios these collection books of mm. the kids treta collection wow. and <laughs> as they're waiting in line to play the game they're yeah. talking about what their strategy is going to be and what their combination of, of this can be and huh. this, this idea of having you know kind of the the gameplay and the collectible toy where you're chasing the rare versions and mm -hmm. i could see something like that really being compelling here with the right ip and and done right i'd love to explore that at some point too hmm. I'm just seeing dollar signs too. And you're thinking about all those, uh, <laughs> all the, all the, the pieces and all the things that they're collecting and uh, lining up and, and everything. So, so what about like potential threats to the game industry? Like, like what are you concerned about? Yeah. There, there are some things that I think a lot of people would consider threats that uh, I, I think have a positive aspect to, you know, what's happening now with GDPR and COPA and uh, All right. yeah, new, new law that just came out of the UK around protecting its privacy and that mm -hmm. um, for as somebody who's in the kids game space. Yeah. There's, there's some risks there, particularly with poor and overzealous uh, enforcement. Mm -hmm. um, but there's also a, a glaring need for it. My fear is that, you know, whenever we get, 
the latest moral panic around video games. And it's still, <laughs> you know, it's still an easy target. If yep. your poll numbers are down, then, you know, you can yeah. take a swipe at video games and blame it for society's ills. And you'll, you know, you'll, you'll get some for that. Yeah. Totally. Um, and and that, that's how bad law gets made and you know, how we get stuck with, uh, we get stuck with regulation that just doesn't make sense. So mm-hmm. I think that that's, that's a, a risk still. Yeah. yeah surprisingly, I, I think that to some of the, the more rapacious business models, um, Mm-hmm. are not endearing the games industry to its its customers right. um, yeah yeah i'm thinking of the you know the uh, suburban couple who for some reason they've gotten hooked on candy crush and now they're dropping you know uh, five grand in a month on it and their retirement savings is going into this right. there's a yeah. there's a real problem with a business that is entirely predicated on the pursuit of whales mm-hmm. and yeah. of getting big spenders to spend big because you're going to net a lot of people who can't afford to spend big but right. are just as as hooked and you know right. so we, we saw some regulation around loot boxes come out that was probably not probably a good idea mm-hmm. uh, but i i could see that really going overboard if the industry doesn't show more self-control and and yeah. uh, kind of eth- ethical backbone what about opportunities that like what are you most excited about yeah in the industry in general and i, I if there's any silver lining to the coronavirus and uh you know, kids being sent home from school and that I think mm-hmm. that a lot of the other players in the industry have woken up to what a huge untapped market there is in kids under 30. Now, if you're if you're at any game company that's in the top 50 grossing in the app store, you already have a huge audience of kids under 13. They're just yeah. lying about their age to play your game. Yeah. Right. 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 Uh, but I, I think that a lot of them have woken up to the fact now that that we have all these kids playing our game. Mm. The regulatory environment is changing and the FTC is going to start coming after us if we have what's obviously a kid's property, a Disney property or something, mm. but it's but we're calling it 13 plus in the app store. Um, wow. That's not going to wash anymore. But I think they're starting to wake up to the fact that, wow, if we if we treat this player demographic well mm-hmm. then you know the, the the big problem with games of course is is discovery and user acquisition and all of that yeah the 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 candy crush players of uh of tomorrow are the animal jam players of today mm-hmm. uh, if you if you build a relationship with that player and you treat them well with with respect and you get them involved in a in a gameplay community that they that they like and they trust yeah. then you know you can graduate them into other games what mm-hmm. excites me right now is that I think that there's just huge, so much open water around Wildworks right now. I I mm-hmm. want more competitors. <laughs> I, yeah. want, I want more people coming into the kids space and making high quality stuff for kids. Mm-hmm. You know, not games that are clearly aimed at kids, but they're pretending that they're adult games so that they don't have to comply with the, the regs. Okay. Making really good games for kids, mm-hmm. you know, that are that are, are safe and follow the pri- the privacy regulations. I'm excited by all the business opportunity that's in that, that's in you know, learning tools that uh, mm-hmm. that are more game-like and not just 
slapping the gamification label on yeah. what's what's a what's a bad learning app to begin with mm-hmm. but really taking virtual environments persistent virtual environments and turning them into learning spaces yeah that's exciting yeah, so some of the stuff Minecraft does, right? Yeah. More and more stuff. It kind of bleeds into the educational space. And um, it's about exploring yeah. and building. Yeah, we see that in the... Roblox, you know, ro- ex- Roblox. Yeah, there's yeah, no, yeah. There's, there's great potential to use those as as education tools. I, you know, parents have to be aware that games like Minecraft and Roblox are not kids' games. They're, they're adult games that, you know, if you just go in there and start playing and you're not kind of watching what your kid's doing, where they're going, they can wind up in a very adult experience. Uh, but it's something that, you know, they can be tremendous learning environments. And we see yeah. this in Animal Jam. We see, we see teachers that are third grade teachers are giving up on Zoom and instead of having their classes meet an animal jam because they can at least <laughs> keep the kids attention there yeah uh, that's great i'd love to see the, i think that we're going to have an opportunity to explore more of that both in works and in the industry at large you mentioned copa a few times and i remember that from my days at midway and dealing with legal and that's like child online protection something privacy so, protection act yeah. yeah so that's that's the ftc does that in the u.s it's a law that's now uh, it's it's pretty long in the tooth and really um yeah. unfortunately yeah. it's only updated every 10 years and it really needs to be more frequent but but essentially what uh, COPPA does is require verified parental consent for you to capture store use any data from somebody that you know or should know is under yeah. 13. Yeah. yeah. And it's a big deal. And, and so is GDPR, right? I mean, that's European Privacy Act where you, you have to disclose if you're hanging on to people's information and let them get out of it. Yeah. And, uh, All right. There's a kid's facet of GDPR called GDPRK um, that's a set of regulations specifically around kids, and they define kids differently in different countries. Yeah, and GDPR applies differently to 15-year-olds in the Netherlands than it does to, you know, 14-year-olds in the UK. Oh, wow. Um, I had no idea. Was that granular? It's it's that and the scary thing about GDPR for companies that are not paying attention to it or not compliant. It is not only does it open you to you know the regulatory fines and yeah, action and that, but big. to civil, but to to civil, and oh. those are company enders. So the game industry, I'm sure you get a lot of them. What, what's a funny or odd story? I'm sure you recall that the the games industry used to be a much more ribald place. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. A, a, a lot of the way the business was done then, you certainly couldn't do now, and and mm-hmm. you know and shouldn't it's i think right. that there were a lot of kind of boys club uh, abuses of uh yeah of that at the time but it had to evolve um Could it, continue? it did have to evolve and it had to yeah. it had to grow up but but during the during its adolescence there was there was yeah. plenty of of crazy stuff and I talk about this sometimes with friends that, you know, there's, there's that group of friends really only see each other at game conferences two or three times a year, but you've known them for 20 years. So you kind of, (laughs) you kind of feel like you've developed a bond with them. And some of, some of these are people that, you know, we reminisce of past GDCs or Mm -hmm. if you remember when, uh, when DirectX first launched, I was at um, the party. You're talking about the party. You were at the party. Yeah. Yeah. The infamous, Alex St. John yep. party with the the, the Roman vom- vomitorium and all that. Yeah, yeah. the guar and uh, yeah, the whole nine. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I was there. It was 
there's crazy. there's no way any one facet of that party could be done <laughs> now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the whole it, thing was just sick and wrong. It was just, yeah, it was so bizarre because it was Halloween and it was like in all these like underground parking garages. It was like it was like turned into a nightclub and then it was like guar and then there's just booze everywhere and and uh, it was an expo floor. That's why I was there. But I was just like it was surreal. It's, I, I look back on it, it's yeah. like a fog. I'm like, did that really happen? And I. I I've talked about somebody else on the podcast because it was like, yeah, that, that happened. And um, no, there is a little I, bit on the I internet this, about it. No, I have this very vivid memory of Alex. So Alex St. John was, as you probably remember, yeah. he was the, the head of Xbox at the time. And I, <laughs> I think that the, what he spent on that party might have been deleterious to his career at Microsoft because he didn't last uh, much right. longer past that. But yeah. he was he was dressed as Caesar and had <laughs> you know these uh, nymphs feeding him grapes while he's passing through the hallway throwing gold coins that you could use to get drinks and um he he wanted a bacchanal and and he got it yeah (laughs) yeah yeah, there there are a lot of scenes like that from the uh (laughs) the early days of Mm -hmm. of the industry at least around when the industry got to the point where it was trying to have serious conferences like uh you know part of comdex being having the the game developers uh uh-huh. conferences then it was wild and crazy to begin with i was telling somebody about this the other day that there was that period where microsoft and sony were like in an arms war every e3 to who could outspend the other guy and 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 just throw the bigger party you know and there'd just be these crazy parties with like high profile bands and buses and sushi yeah. and there was that one sony one where you went to a mountain by dodger stadium and they had built this whole yeah, you were, yeah it was like yeah i you rode a that. bus up, up this mountain and you're looking out over la and there's like bumped into somebody from the black eyed peas i think the black yeah IP that's there. right yeah it was it was macy gray and uh, the black eyed peas that, yeah that and, and they had like midget yeah. uh kiss because they had like the yes and, and uh, uh yeah. mexican wrestling i mean it was just it was crazy did you, know, did, like, you did you places? go to oh i know i know it was seriously like two fraternities competing with each other yeah. next door Right, right. And oh yeah, bro. With, with about with sixteen k exactly, yeah, exactly. Like, about that level. Who is of, signing of off? Maturity. Yeah. <laughs> did, did you go to the E three moved to Atlanta for a couple yes. of years? Did you go to yep. either of those? Yeah. Yeah, I was at both yeah. of those. Yeah. Sega had a party with Creeper Lagoon, and then the Foo Fighters crashed it after playing the Sony party <laughs> like two in the morning, and the Foo Fighters played for like a hundred people because it was a smaller club. Creeper Lagoon wasn't a big big deal and yeah it was like wait a minute that's dave Grohl, and everyone was just trashed and i ran into the bass player nate mandel in the stairs and yeah those, yes, those right? were pretty crazy ones. because pre uh-huh. e3 was ces uh consumer electronics show had a wing or a section that was for gaming until you know broke off well and, and comdex before the ces when uh uh, yeah, computers. When it was still, hardware, yeah. yeah, when it was still called Comdex, and that was where you know Atari and 3DO and all those people uh, came to show off the the new consoles. E3 goes <laughs> cyclical, right? Because all of a sudden, it just at one point, everyone just stops and goes, "How much fucking money are we spending?" And, and they're like, "We're just going to start renting out hotels and just shuffle the press over there, and just and then it contracts, and then it kind of goes away, and then people are like, yeah, let's do that again." And it just kind of ebbs and flows, you know. And it's, this this was probably the uh, the bullet in the head that it is yeah. needed for the last couple of years. Uh, right. I, I don't I don't see how it comes back from this because it was kind of on life support already. Right. 
So what about games you're playing right now that you're excited about? My my backlog is terrible. <laughs> so, um, Login is game. Yeah, I have how, 500 games to play. Damn. Yeah, I'll tell you how terrible I just like barely finished Control and oh, okay. Borderlands 3. I'm that far <laughs> behind. So right, right now, uh, the thing that's on top of my queue, and I haven't really gotten into it yet, is Last of Us 2. And mm. I'm really I'm excited to, to delve into that. Mobile stuff, we, we kind of had a family resurgence of Pokemon Go during the, the quarantine. And mm. yeah, that was uh, a lot of family walks to, uh, yeah. to, to catch Pokemon. Yeah. Um, so that, which, which is kind of funny because you know, that app has been on my phone since 2016, but mm-hmm. I don't think I'd opened it since then. <laughs> it, it was funny too, because it, it just exploded. Like, like when that first came out, you would just see people randomly walking, staring at the phones. And it's like, I know, you know, where did these people come from? And, and you, you would never see them before. And I remember driving through, you know, a small town at one in the morning and there's just people walking around like zombies with their phones. And it's like, yeah, this is culturally significant, right? It, it had like such a huge impact yeah. and they kind of tired of it or I, I don't know, but it, it, you know, obviously there's people still playing it, but it just, it wasn't that everyone and their uncle were playing the type thing that, it, it yeah, yeah, it it had its period there. I think there's been something of a resurgence around COVID yeah. because it it seems like I mean the numbers have certainly picked up, but right, you know, and I really genuinely this isn't a, a plug or anything. I really enjoy mm-hmm. jumping anonymously into our games into Pharaoh, especially since it's such a nascent young community right now, and yeah. there's so much creativity in it and it's it's just it's fun to be a fly on the wall in there you're right yeah see what people are doing like oh we never thought of that or oh that's cool they did that yeah Yeah. exactly anything i should have asked you about but didn't (laughs) (laughs) oh well nothing that nothing that our attorneys would probably let me uh, (laughs) talk about no no i you know for Wildworks, the whole essence of our company is is making playgrounds. It's making mm-hmm. playgrounds for kids specifically, yeah. um, and and places where uh, they can find fun, but with substance to it. And mm-hmm. um, one of the first big crises that we had when we launched Animal Jam was you you have you have dens in Animal Jam where you've got a kind of your own space that you can decorate and you can mm-hmm. take furniture items and arrange and have your friends come over. Yeah. Um, and we had this basic table that everybody got as part of their first den, and we had these tiki torches that you could get in the game and you could place them around your den. Mm-hmm. And some kid, there's always one on the playground. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. Some kid figured out that I can put the tiki torch on top of the table and then jump on the table and tell everybody I'm pole dancing. And uh, uh, some kids would fill their dens up with tables with tiki torches in the middle, and <laughs> and so that we're having <laughs> come to my my pole dancing club, and we're like, oh my god, who would have thought of that? Yeah, who, never. Know, how, how do you years. catch that? Right. How do you catch that in test? And then we're just right. you know we're waiting for the first parent to call and say, you know, my child's in your virtual strip club. What is right, going right. on here? What is this? Yeah. Yeah, what the hell is going on? <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Uh, just laying those things out there and see how people combine it and with their imagination, uh, good or bad, where it takes them. That's- that, that is really the, the fun part. And what they wind up having the most fun with is not what we, it's never been what we predicted. 
Mm-hmm. Right. You just give them yeah, the tools it's, it's and like, see what happens. Yeah. It's like you spend millions of dollars developing a, a toy and, you know, it, it gets opened on Christmas morning, but they wind up playing with the box that it came right. in more. <laughs> right. uh, yeah. <laughs> it's more interesting to them than yeah, the, the toy itself. Yeah. Yeah. So where can people find you online? Uh, you know, website, Twitter. He's at wildworks.com. Uh, mm-hmm. Feral is at F-E-R dot A-L. Okay. Animal Jam, of, of course, is in the App Store and at animaljam.com. I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram, both uh, at Clark Stacy. And uh, yeah, love hearing from players on both of those. The Instagram one kind of uh, overwhelmed me, and so our community team helps me uh, keep up with that now. <laughs> but, yeah, right. uh, Last question. Uh, what's one piece of advice you give others working in the industry right now? There, 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 yeah. there are a lot of them, but a, right. I think that it's uh, it's got to be about the relationships that you develop, you know, what you do to be helpful for the people that are either trying to get into the industry or trying mm-hmm. to figure the industry out. While it seems like it's this massive, multi-hundreds of billions of dollars industry, and, and it is, right. the community of developers really isn't that big. Mm. And the people, the people that you meet, you're going to be working alongside them for the entirety of your career. They're going to be the people that you see every year at GDC. And yep. some year you're going to be able to make an introduction for them that helps their company, changes their trajectory. Mm-hmm. And that stuff always comes back threefold to yeah. you. So I, if I give any advice, it would be look for ways to be helpful to everybody in the industry, even those that, especially those mm-hmm. that don't seem to have anything to offer you in return, because you know, not only is that rewarding in itself, but yeah. you will be, you will be surprised that um, people would just rather do business with people like that for mm-hmm. one and right. and two you are putting karma in the bank and yeah totally it, agree. it always you, you always get much more out of it than you put into it i said this many times in the show the the industry is a lot smaller than people think so you know your deeds your actions how you treat people no matter who they are or where they are in at a company or their profile or anything that speaks to you as a person and it, it stays with you right you know so do the right thing yeah. and, you know help people out you know, don't be a jerk. Just be that person that solves problems and um, is helpful because, yeah, those are the kind of people people want to work with. Yeah, don't don't hoard knowledge. There's really no there's no point to it. I, mm-hmm. I think probably 99% of the NDAs ever signed in the games industry are totally ridiculous and could <laughs> totally be dispensed with because right. the ideas, you know, the, the underlying ideas are not, that's not what sells. That's not right. what makes a great game. It's, it's the execution. execution totally. And for the, for the execution, you need people. And ideally, you need people from different backgrounds Mm-hmm. Uh, people different ages, different countries. You need different voices than people that you ordinarily interact with. I think, yeah. especially now, it's it's become, and I, I'm glad to see that it's become more of an issue in the industry that we're we're trying to elevate voices that really have uh, mm-hmm. just been trampled over, uh, and try to you know find talent in places that we haven't looked for it. And that's yeah. it's already making the industry better, and we've got a ways to go there. But it all kind of ties back to to that um you know look for ways to be helpful to other people 
you're right, the industry is getting better about it, but there's still a long way to go. People need to do that, reach out and help people that may be overlooked at normally uh, in the industry because it's just stupid stereotypes and, and people that are uh, living in the past. There's some cool new voices coming out in the industry. We're, we're yeah. already seeing new thinking on the on the indie scene. Uh, if it, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll throw in a bonus piece of advice. Yeah. Spend most of your time at GDC on the indie floor. Okay. You know, you go yeah. to things like 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 Casual Connect, go go to their, you know, their indie oh, right. game yeah. competition that they that they have there. Mm-hmm. God, it's just it, especially if you're, you know, ancient guys like us who've been doing this for, you know, 20, 25 years. Yeah. It's so galvanizing to feel that creative energy that's there mm-hmm. and that that spirit of let's just try anything and see what what sticks yeah um oh, it's yeah. exciting and if you can help somebody who's kind of in that spot um mm-hmm. yeah your your own career is going to benefit from it maybe in, in ways that you never even see the direct connection right because yeah it's the karma thing right well excellent i've had a great time talking tonight clark thank you for being on the show Absolutely. My pleasure, man. Thank you so much for doing it. I think the show is a terrific resource. Uh, I've really Thank enjoyed you. Uh, you know, listening to some past episodes with folks that I know and folks that I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it's great that you're kind of giving people in and outside of the industry a look behind the scenes at some of the personalities. No, no, thank you. And um, yeah, I'm glad we got the introduction because you and I have never met in real life, but we have you know, 60 plus shared connections on LinkedIn. So it, it was cool that we got a chance to talk to him. Well, it's great talking to you, man. Thanks for listening to this episode of Game Dev Advice, the Game Developers Podcast. Go to the website at gamedevadvice.com and you can find the show notes along with show notes for all the other episodes. Please also check out the new Patreon page at patreon.com backslash gamedevadvice. Have a lot of options up there for how you can support the show. Again, that's patreon.com backslash game dev advice. Thanks again for listening and being part of the show. Take care. Bye-bye.